Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 45 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, May 21st, 2023, And Brian, given the news of the week, I can't help but quote the opening of Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh, man. Can can I breathe now? Can I let my breath out? I've been, like, holding my breath through this whole thing Mm -hmm. and and turning purple because it's like, I don't know what's going on. Well, I mean, it is very much an evolving story. So let's start with the the good news. All right, we have a brand new Indiana Jones film, which just had its world premiere at Cannes. Okay, so yes, it got kind of middling reviews. But it got a five-minute standing ovation. Yeah, but I want to say the new Martin Scorsese film got a seven-minute standing ovation. Oh, like, you know, okay. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, and a standing ovation, and that was the other thing that, I don't know if you saw the news coverage after this, there were people who were talking about, well, yes, you know, Indiana Jones got a five-minute-long polite standing ovation and it was like all right what's that mean oh man people like to kick i forget which film critic pointed out it's like look you go over to con first of all you're jet lag second of all you got to wear a tuxedo and you're out of joint you're right. not up on your sleep and he said and it's really dangerous to go off of what people say in con versus what happens when a movie actually gets out in theaters case in point somebody was pointing out what happened with uh, quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood which got a horrible reception at con and then went on to do really great business what are the point? Do we really want a bunch of sleep-deprived people in tuxedos telling us whether or not a popcorn movie works? Yeah, that's true. This is a serious movie-going crowd. And if they tell me that a drama like The Zone of Interest... Uh, have you heard about this this Jonathan Glazer movie, the, the one about Rudolf Haas, the camp commandant of Auschwitz? Yeah, I heard a little bit about it doing, you know, that they showed it at con. They did. And, and then people were They did. About and, and, and again, what people have found especially chilling about this movie is it deals with the household. His home was right next to the concentration camp. There was a fence separating the yard where the kids played from where the, the guards and the ovens and all that stuff was. And so Jesus. what's really freaking people out is just be in that house and have people going about their their daily lives as if nothing is going on next door. And for me, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. The zone of interest is about real Nazis, where their actions, their their complete lack of humanity chills you to the bone. 
where Dial of Destiny has movie Nazis. The ones where, you know, you're sitting there with your popcorn and you're perfectly at ease when one gets punched in the face or, or more to the point, their face melts. <laughs> like in the original Raiders, you could laugh as they, you know, that the, ah, they got what they deserved. Even the very funny scene in the Holy Grail one mm. where Hitler grabs the, the yep. book and signs there it. You go. There you go, the book burning scene. But all right. Isn't this supposedly why the Russians were the big bads in 2008 yeah. in, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Because the story I, I've always heard is that Spielberg, after he directed Schindler's List, which, again, released in 93, Stephen supposedly said he no longer wanted to make movies with movie Nazis, where, where they were the villains. Do you think that might be one of the reasons that Spielberg ultimately opted out of directing Dial of Destiny back in February of 2020. The script came in and it's like, ah, movie Nazis again. Yeah, but what, didn't he at one time say about Crystal Skull that maybe he should have kept with the Nazis? Didn't he say something like that? I don't recall. At one time? Ever. Okay, then I, I must have misread it. But I don't think that's the mm -hmm. reason as much as what he's he's 75 years mm -hmm. old and those films take a lot of you know time and a lot of energy mm -hmm. to make and you're always you we, we've heard the famous scene with um harrison ford getting dysentery mm -hmm. well steven spielberg never got sick mm -hmm. and the reason he never got sick mm -hmm. is he would have crates mm -hmm of chili canned chili mm -hmm. sent to the set or his hotel room and that's all he ate There's so he would never get sick so and and you look at him too and you know he's like we are he's you know the sun probably isn't friendly to him mm -hmm. and and he's you know very slight and and i just feel that he didn't want to the, the it would exhaust him mm -hmm. to do i mean and look his last action film was Ready Player mm -hmm. One, but that was probably all blue screen. Mm -hmm. So you you sit behind a monitor. This he actually had to go out and film. So I think it's more of a where I am now type of thing. And you know he had a lot to do with it also. I mean, he probably had his fingers in. He was in the executive producer of this thing. And anybody who's been paying attention to the early reviews or the press leading up to this, how much of the prologue, so to speak, of this film uh, features the indie right. from 35 years ago. In fact, what's kind of interesting is to hear the stories. What they did is they gathered together all the footage they could get of Harrison Ford from 1981, but also magazine photos, press photos, that sort of thing, and fed that into the algorithms that you know were used to de-age the footage that was actually shot with the modern-day Harrison. In a weird sort of way, Spielberg did have a, a fairly heavy influence on at least the way Harrison looked in this film. Just to circle back to the Nazi thing for a moment, though, given that there was the famous story about how Frank Darabont had written the first script 
for Indiana Jones 4. I mean, it took me wrong. There were multiple scripts written for Indiana Jones 4. Yeah, even you know, the, the, Jeremy Bozeman wrote yeah, one. I wanted, yeah, it wasn't that the Indiana Jones and the Monkey God, and there was Indiana Jones and yeah. the Saucer Men. I think that was Jeb Stewart. But Frank Darabont wrote Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods. And what's interesting about Darabont's script is there's a character in that film called Von Groton. He's a former Nazi who switched sides to the Soviets after World War II. And uh, there's this scene at the end of, of the movie. In fact, it's kind of uh, the, the first pass of what happens to Kate Blanchett's character in Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, where you know she wants all of the knowledge in the world and you know or in the, or in the universe, and and the aliens grant her her wish, and and, <laughs> and then her head catches on fire, which that happens, you know. That, have a little mystery in life, folks. That's all, you know. That, that's the message there. But anyway, similar thing was supposed to happen in City of the Gods. Uh, Von Groten is seen at the end as the aliens are granting wishes to those who have made it to the inner sanctum of the, the city of God's, their deepest desire. And so Van Graten says, I want the dream reborn. I want the glory we created. And according to Darabont's script, the vapor of Van Graten's wish takes final form, the face of the alien flowing like smoke and, and forming into the glorious smiling visage of Adolf Hitler himself. Oh, and then the disembodied alien voice says, you shall have the glory you created. <laughs> now back to what Frank wrote in the script, Hitler's smile becomes the toothy grimace of a leering demonic skull. And von Gryen starts screaming as the Defura's ectoplasmic hand <laughs> forms a vicious talon that then reaches in, sinks into Van Graten's disgusting black heart and sucks the life force right out of him with the crush of collapsing bones. And so this is... And this is why we have a PG-13. Well, yes, but, but also <laughs> clearly Frank is a fan and a student of the original Raiders of the Lost Ark, likewise right. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. But again, these aren't real Nazis. These are movie Nazis. Yeah, It's easy to see why a Spielberg post Schindler's List might have had a problem with an Indiana Jones script that has seen like this in it. But here's the weird part. I have heard that it was George Lucas, not Steven Spielberg, who ultimately rejected Darabont's script for Indiana Jones and the City of Gods. And I can't find out why it is exactly that George sort of dug in his heels. But like I said, folks, if you want to check this out, you can go online, uh, Google, uh, again, Indiana Jones and the City of Gods, and the Darabont script will pop right up there. If you're a fan of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I know there's only about five of you out there, but that's okay. Six. Six, there we go. Actually, my whole family, so we can get up to ten. Okay. Seriously, folks, uh, if you get a chance, take some time. Chase down the, the script for uh, the City of the Gods, because what's fascinating is if you know Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a lot of the ideas that ultimately wound up in that film are in the, the Darabont script, but in kind of a mutated form. But anyway, we haven't even gotten to the real news yet. So, okay, uh, yeah. speaking of the news, the news portion of Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Uh, FYI, folks, a little housekeeping before we move on here. This week, over on the Disney Dish, Len and I talk about 
the Indiana Jones and the Summer of Hidden Mysteries promotion, which was this really short-lived thing that was done at Disneyland back in the summer of 2008. In fact, don't you love how we beat a dead horse in this show? Because we were just talking about Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, and this is what sort of prompted Disney to, ooh, we should, you know, try to do a cross-promotion here. So there was the Indiana Jones and the Secret of the Stone Tiger show that was presented in the old Aladdin's Oasis restaurant. There was also this stunt show that would go on a couple of times a day where you'd be walking through Adventureland and it's like, is that Indiana Jones up on the roof of the Jungle Cruise beating up a guy? And it's like, yeah, sure enough, it is. And then if you got on the Jungle Cruise at various places along the river, they had temporarily added artifacts from the first four indie films. There was also a rolling boulder photo op in one corner of the park. And you could even pick up a map and walk through the area and decode messages. I mean, mind you, it wasn't... Remember when you used to go, I, I, what was it, the first summer that the Indiana Jones Adventure was open? You could, yeah. you could go into the, the temple of the, the Forbidden Eye with your, your AT&T card and, oh, yeah. and decipher what was written on the wall. I, I always thought that was a, kind of a cool detail. It was, it was great, and all the stuff is still there, and mm-hmm. you, can, you can get it online, you can print oh. it out and still like, um, decipher everything. I mean, mm-hmm. mainly it, it combined AT&T with Indiana Jones. You know, it's like, you know, be careful of what choice you make. You know, <laughs> make the right choice, AT&T. So it was, yes, it was especially when it comes way. to your phone plan. You know, yeah. Please disregard the spikes that are coming out of the ceiling. But yes, you want to be really careful about that phone plan. Uh, but remember, there wasn't there wasn't um, cell phones back then. This so. is true. This, this is, is true. the brick. Uh, <laughs> you had the brick. Yeah, <laughs> carrying around that shoebox-sized phone. Oh, yeah. Anyway, if you, you use the map to decode, you could you take your map home, and if you went on... And this was at Disneyland? This was at Disneyland for, oh, for man, three months. Oh, man, I don't know how I missed this. Well, again, it was only for three months, and as it turned out, the Mothers of Orange County kind of did this thing in. Well, we explain the particulars on the show over at the Disney Dish, but... Okay, I can't wait to hear it. But what what's especially kind of sad about this is Disney had really, really hoped that the Secret of the Stone Tiger show would become the next Jedi Training Academy. Oh. But again, that didn't happen. Well, I can't wait to hear this, so... Now, yeah. back to the good news. Okay, at the upfronts <laughs> this past week... Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy revealed that the Indian... Should, should we explain what the upfronts are? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Just a quick thing. It used to be Pasadena is where all the upfronts oh, used to be. That's but right. then after COVID, mm-hmm. it was online, and now they're doing it in New York, which mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe there's, there's something going on there. Or it's because when it was in Hollywood's backyard, mm-hmm. then you had a lot of press and... and you know, oh, certainly, uh, and you had a, a number of celebrities turn them. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I but know New York is more the, the, the people who need to be there. Well, okay. it, it's also more to the point that's where a lot of the ad agencies, the ones, I mean, again, right, the, right, right. And in fact, it's sort of explained the concept of the upfront. This is, you know, you announce the TV season back when TV seasons on networks, start, yes. yeah, on, on networks, you know, started in September. And I, I love, do you know why they started in September? 
Yes, because that's when the brand new cars. There we go. The next year's cars, like 2024 cars, mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. in September, October, and that's when um, the car companies would spend a lot of money to get their ads out there. See, and this that's is- how. This is why you do a show with a smart person, folks. (laughs) Yes. No, that's it exactly. A geek. But that's from like the 50s was why the television season would start in September. But it's all changed now. Oh, God. It it drives me crazy watching Mm. the the Emmys that they take place in September. Mm. And the TV shows are from September to September. They are. Because we don't need that anymore. And most things are streaming. no, No. And available all the time, mm-hmm. and um, but yeah, that's when the, they show all these shows to the the advertisers, and they ask for the money. Yep, up front. There we go. A great explanation. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, Kathleen is on stage revealing that the Indiana Jones movie catalog is coming to Disney Plus end of this month, folks, May thirty first, and all four have previously been over on Disney Plus. And if we're being completely honest... Yeah, I thought they were. They're still there till May 31st. (laughs) Also, to add to the pile, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which was a... a, I can't wait to see this again. To explain, this is a TV series that ran on ABC from March of 1992 through July of 1993... And this is where Frank Darabont got his, his start. He wrote, I think, several um, scripts. Mm-hmm. But when they showed it on ABC, mm-hmm. there was always a prologue and an epilogue mm-hmm. where they would have a 90-year-old um, Indiana Jones. 93, by he, the way. 93. 93 that's yep. right, because it came out in 93. Mm-hmm. A 93-year-old Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. and he would do something, you know, he hangs out on all these museums Mm -hmm. and he attacks these little kids Mm -hmm. and tells them well you know when i was Mm -hmm. and then it would go to the story yep and it would one week it would be younger indiana jones Mm -hmm. like a a nine-year-old ten-year-old and the other one would be a teenager Mm -hmm. 16 and you grew up with him Mm -hmm. and he was always doing what quantumly called the kiss of destiny Mm -hmm. Where he would meet these people that we, you know, he meet he met Theodore Roosevelt in Africa when he was a little mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. He met um, Matahari in um, World War during World War One. Mm-hmm. He was he was at Versailles, mm-hmm. which is possibly one of the best written oh. and most incredible stories because it tells you what happened. Mm-hmm. It tells you why mm-hmm. there was a World War Two, mm-hmm. and it tells you why there was a Vietnam War, and it all started at Versailles and and then he he was at the the troubles Mm -hmm. in Ireland Mm -hmm. he was everywhere and it was just great I mean the jazz age Mm -hmm. you know they brought in um all these other they he they even had a murder mystery Mm -hmm. it was one of the best shows ever that dealt with things like this and it had the whole Indiana Jones feel to it and even one of the episodes, mm-hmm. and I think it may have been just a movie, mm-hmm. a, a standalone movie, had Harrison Ford That's right. in the prologue That's and right. the epilogue. Playing a saxophone, right? Playing a saxophone, and then it goes into the Chicago Jazz Age. Okay. But the thing about 
when it came on DVD, mm-hmm. all those prologues and mm-hmm. epilogues were taken out, including the Harrison Ford, which people just died because because Lucas directed that too, mm-hmm. and um, it was a series ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. It used effects mm-hmm. that that were just getting off the ground. I think that's when he really used his um, ILM. Digital effects was on these movies or on these shows. This was the early days of ILM working with digital set extensions and that sort of effects work. And if you, we jump ahead to 1997, you know, to the, the, the first quarter of 1997, that's when we get our special editions of the Star Wars movies and, and the whole notion right. of, you know, well, look what I learned with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And, you know, there's stuff in in the New Hope and or, or a New Hope and, and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi that, that's bugged me forever. And and now I can go in and, and, and fix that. And, and more to the point, if we think about just jump ahead two years further from there, we, we get our first of the, the prequels, The Phantom Menace. And this is a lot of what George learned and used on that film and, and the two that followed came on the heels of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. So you're not wrong. It's, it's an important project, which, by the way, all of this stuff drops on May 31st, too, along with those those four indie films. And Bob Iger, during the most recent earnings call, brought up the idea that Disney, after a period of we only make content for our streaming service. Right. Here we go. Well, that's the thing. You know, they they suddenly talked about, well, maybe we will make content for other folks. And so you got to wonder to get these four films. What a Disney horse trade. You know, it's kind of like the whole how the Spider-Man Sony films are, are right. coming over to Disney+. Plus. It's like, okay, so what did you horse trade? What's Paramount Plus get for giving you indie? Well, will he... Um, see, this is what I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, especially after they canceled Willow, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes... You, you got to walk before you can run. And the first one was a lot of people liked it. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, some people couldn't be bothered with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was the Game of Thrones without any nudity. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are you going to do? But it was it was pretty good. It was, the characters were great. The story was great. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see the other chapters. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that he could sell it back who who Columbia was mm-hmm. Columbia the one who originally released it that he could send it or that another streaming service could do something with it or 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 anything i mean you well, know there was talk of an indiana a new indiana joe's series mm-hmm. and that disappeared it did it did if i remember correctly wasn't wasn't the original willow released by mgm Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, so, and the MGM right now. But isn't... Who does MGM now? See, this is the age <laughs> we live in right now. I want to say a lot of MGM's library titles because Warner Brothers Discovery... In fact, there's a number of film historians who get crazy lately because Warner Brothers, when it clips together 100 years of our history, will periodically throw in a clip from The Wizard of Oz and Singing in the Rain. And it's like, 
you didn't make that. MGM yeah. made that. It's like, yeah, but we own the film library. Yeah. So so it's our property. And if we would say it's part of our history, it's part of our history. We own it. Well, it looks like MGM is a studio once again. Mm-hmm. And they do release some. They, they release the Creed films. Okay. So they're still doing, you know, major movies. They did House of Gucci, mm-hmm. The Covenant. They just did The Covenant. But like I said, it's like, where did your film library wind up? You know, and right, no, no, that's right. And and they they're the one studio that doesn't have a streaming company or streaming mm-hmm. service. So I remember four and five years ago, uh, there was such a big deal about how Comcast got the rights to the Harry Potter movies. And uh, we're talking about how they're going to show them on TBS and TNT and, you know, all of their various cable channels. And and that was because, well, Comcast, of course, is the parent of NBC Universal, And they love the fact that they have the Harry Potter stuff in their theme parks. But that was only for a set number of years. And now, right. of course, with the launch of uh, now Max... Uh, all of the, the discussion of how, oh, well, if you want to see Harry Potter, they're here. All eight of the movies are here. And right. we are also discussing making a Harry Potter series. And when you live in an age like this where it, it's all about IP, and in fact, it, it's worth also noting that we got other Lucasfilm-related news coming out of the upfronts. We finally got a release date for the uh, Star Wars uh, Ahsoka uh, limited series, which is supposed to be August 31st, 2023. But some folks are warning that that is a placeholder. Previously, we had heard that Ahsoka would show up in, in the late summer of this year. And that date may be slippy sliding. But tell you what, you know what's not a placeholder? The closing date of Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. That ship literally sails on uh, (laughs) September 28th. And why that date? Brian and I will get to that on the second half of today's show. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Before we get started here, I want to apologize we did mention at the tail end of the last episode 
that we were going to get caught up on the second season of Bad Batch and we were going to get caught up on the third season of Mandalorian. And, and Brian, we're going to get to that next show, folks. But that's fine. I get to watch it again. So I'm not. Okay. Okay. But, but it, it's there, you know, just do you want to give folks a, a taste of, of the road we were going down there? Or, well, the Bad Batch mm -hmm. is setting things up mm -hmm. and cleaning things up mm -hmm. for the rest of the the universe. Let me just throw a controversial thing out there. I don't think Tech's dead. I mean, I, I get it. Oh, he I don't either. You know, he fell from a great height and we were shown his goggles, but we've also seen a lot of people on med beds or whatever the, the, the hell the things are. But yep. it, And clearly Omega was torn up by what happened there. So Hey, I blame Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> what he's going to turn up in the shower? No, no, but no, that's even worse. But it's who shot Jr. Uh, was the first okay. cliffhanger that were between seasons, uh -huh. and then everybody thought, "Ooh, this is a good idea to do." Mm -hmm. And you know, you give your blood, sweat, and tears mm -hmm. through a whole season, yeah. and then you're not satisfied, and you have to hold your breath mm -hmm. until you get to the next series. Those things upset me, but I, I, I tend to ignore them mm -hmm. and just focus on the good. Mm -hmm. I will also say that the rug pull at the end of the very last episode. Oh, yeah. I kind of felt like a moron because as well, of course, idiot. You know, Had you been listening yeah. to the voice? Had you? No, yeah, of course. You should have put that together. But now pivoting to Mando season three, anything you want to tease here before we do our deep dive? Just in the show? A, it, was, it was a roller coaster. There was some controversy mm -hmm. in it. I think one of the funniest things was season or episode three. Mm -hmm. When people saw it was 52 minutes, mm -hmm. they were losing their mind going, oh, great. We have something that's not half an hour. It's going to be b blowing up and it's going to be fights and everything's going to be great. And it was a Andor story, basically. And um, I thought that was funny, the, the bait and switch. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it was important because this, and, and maybe that's not important, mm -hmm. but you saw the puppet masters. You saw Favreau, you saw Filoni, you saw Kennedy, mm -hmm. and you saw that they were telling the audience they were in charge. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you get that, what was it, episode um, six mm -hmm. with Lizzo and Jack Black, when you get that, mm -hmm. you knew that they were having fun mm -hmm. and you were along for the ride mm -hmm. and you were no longer steering if you ever thought you were steering. That's an interesting take. And more to the point, we know we've got more of that coming. We, we know Mandalorian season four is coming. Likewise, season three of Bad Batch. But as of Thursday, we got some disappointing news uh, about Galactic. Yeah. Okay, and here's the official statement. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is one of our most creative projects ever and has been praised by our guests and recognized as setting a new bar for innovation and immersive entertainment. This premium experience gave us the opportunity to try new things on a smaller scale of, of 100 rooms, and we will take what we've learned to create future experiences that can reach more of our guests and fans. We will be contacting guests who booked voyages departing on or after September 30th to discuss options and modifying their plans. To prioritize these guests, we are pausing bookings 
till May 26th, so a couple of days after the show goes live. And we are so proud of all the cast members and the imaginators who brought Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser to life and look forward to delivering an excellent experience for the guests during the remaining voyages over the coming months. So again, gentle way of saying the Galactic Star Cruiser is going away. Now, let's talk about the timing. (laughs) This announcement was made on the very same day that Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is debuting at Con. And again, I know we were talking at the top of the show about how, you know, over at Rotten Tomatoes is only 26 reviews that have come in and it's only got a, a 52% freshness rating. But at the same time, they had already promised that they were at the Con, officials at Con were going to give Harrison Ford a Lifetime Achievement Award. So Disney knew going into this, no matter how the film is received, we're going to get some positive press out of this day. So a way to deflect and defer the bad news about the Galactic Star Cruiser shutting down. Let's do it on the same day that we're over in Cannes. Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy are on the other side of the Atlantic. So it's hard to ask them tough questions about this. And if anything, you're six hours out of joint from the news cycle. And so only a Bob Iger would think like this. And in fact, also to further throw the Galactic Star Cruiser news into eclipse, the very same day is when the Disney company announces that it's walking away from the Lake Nona development, Mm. you know, a billion dollar thing in Florida. And so... But wasn't that on the horizon already when Iger came in? Didn't he stop WDI from going to Lake Nona? I worked up a timeline about this just to be sure. Only 200 people had relocated by the time the project got paused and e- or, or got canceled. And even then, it was last summer that Disney put out the news that we were originally supposed to get this complex open by 2024. We're now sliding our projected opening date to 2026. And given that... We are pausing our relocation efforts. It didn't say stop, said pause. Okay, okay. And to further muddy the water here, in January of this year, Disney did put out, we are still on target to open in 2006. We are still pausing, bringing the bulk of our, our folks. But they stress, you know, we had people arrive who were going to be on the ground and help to get this 60-acre complex up out of the ground. So Bob Iger knows how to play the game. If you go and read the official statement about how proud Disney was of what they tried to do with Galactic Star Cruiser, it reminds me a lot of how the company reacted the weekend after John Carter opened at the box office in 2012 and underperformed at the box office. And normally in a situation like that, a studio is looking for somebody to throw under the bus. You know, when you lose that much money on a film that was supposed to launch an entire franchise. But Andrew Stanton, the gentleman who directed Finding Nemo for Pixar, was the guy who tried his hand at live action when doing John Carter. And a Bob Iger, who, you know, again, is good at chess. It's like, okay, so we lost $400 million on 
John Carter of Mars between the you know production costs and promotion, and we're never getting that money back. On the other hand, if Andrew Stanton stays, you know, if he did, he doesn't walk away from Disney and Pixar with his tail tucked between his legs. We get the Finding Nemo sequel, Finding Dory, in four years, right. and that will make billions for us. So I'm going to step out as the head of the Walt Disney Company and basically say, look, we took a big swing, and we, as a company, failed. So this isn't any one individual. And so because Iger was smart enough to play it that way, Andrew Stanton stayed. And he did direct Finding Dory, and it did make billions for the company. And what's kind of interesting, if you've been following Andrew, didn't he? I, he did a Mandalorian, right? Yeah, he did one of the. Oh, why can't I remember? It was it was a good one. It too. was. It was. It, was, and, it and, was. It was in the first season, and he was um, also. I think he Stranger he helped Things write several. Yeah, yeah, he did Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's all over the place mm-hmm. right now. I think that you're you're right. Mm-hmm. They usually try to blame somebody, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of times the blame is too many cooks. Mm-hmm. And I just like what I thought. What great was what what Iger did. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the the hotel, though, mm-hmm. was he involved in that, or was that a JPEG thing? Yes, it was a Bob JPEG who stood on stage at the D23 Expo, and proudly walked out the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser concept. If we really start to drill down into what this actually cost the company, building the physical hotel with its 100 rooms and its atrium and its huge video screens on the bridge, you know, they created that seamless lookout into space thing between design and development Research, playtesting, hiring the cast, training the cast, training the support staff. The hotel, 200, 250 million without even breaking a sweat. Disney acquired Lucasfilm October of 2012. This project was in, in development as early as 2013. Oh, okay. Without even breaking a sweat, Brian, this, this was a billion dollars. But Disney was willing to spend a billion dollars because Bob Chapek honestly believed this was the next big thing. This sort of immersive, premium immersive experience. Again, remember, people were paying five and six thousand dollars to, you know. And that was the problem. I mean, when you're going to open up a hotel, especially there, people will go to your hotel if you, mm-hmm. if you, even if you're charging three, for maybe 500 bucks a night, mm-hmm. people will go there. The Animal Kingdom mm-hmm. is always packed. And you can't get a, a room there for less than 250 300 mm-hmm. That's what they should have done with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, did they really need to try to get the most premium price? I know they went after a certain audience, but when that audience does it one, maybe two times, they're done. The Venn diagram here was one percenters and Star Wars fans with really deep pockets. And the thing is, for the one percenters, the folks who, money is no object, they want a sense. I mean, it's literally one of these things where those folks walked into the teeny tiny Star Wars themed rooms and it's like, well, what's the thread count in here? And why (laughs) why is there a bunk bed? And so those folks did it once and would not come back because it wasn't luxurious. On the other hand, 
There's this famous saying when it comes to cruise ships that you lay the keel in one economy and then you launch in another. I mean, these things take for right. forever to build. And sadly, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you know, launches in late winter, early spring of 2022. And we have been in this period of time where the, the drumbeat, are, are we in a recession or are we not in a recession? Yeah. You know, because every time we turn around, there's another high-tech company that's laid off 7 to 9% of its staff. So for so many companies, it's like, why are you laying off 7 to 9% of the staff? We're, we're doing well. Or, you know, look at the stock price. And it's like, yeah, but Wall Street told us. That they want us to stay, they want to stay confident in a company. We have to, you know, we have to tighten up. We have to make cuts. And so the very folks who Disney built this place for, the young professionals with, you know, without kids who had money, the ones who could, yeah, we'll tack this onto a Disney World vacation, this extra five to six thousand dollar thing and see what it's like. Suddenly they're not going to Disney because they're like, geez, I don't know if I'm gonna have a job this year. We better save our pennies. And so that had an impact on occupancy rate at this hotel. And, and only in the past year, two years, three years, have we seen the prequels get some love. And that's because the folks who grew up watching the prequels. The generation is growing up. And they, and they have jobs and they have money. And, right. and so and they have money. Yeah. All right. So there's the famous story about the early work that was done on Star right. Wars land for the Disney theme parks and how initially it was going to be Mos Eisley on Tatooine and you were going to get to go to the very same cantina that Luke and Obi-Wan went to and that's where they met, you know, Han Solo and Chewbacca. And it was Kathleen Kennedy herself who convinced Bob Iger. It's like, look, the future of Star Wars is not its past. But its future. They, that's it, exactly. And so... They rolled the dice, you know, when it came to Galactic Star Cruiser. It's like, if we're going to do this, we'd already established the world of Batu, which is set in the, the world of the new films. They decided to set the uh, planet of Batu in that timeline. And they then decided, well, the folks are journeying from the ship down to Batu. This is also the timeline in the ship, which is why you have your epic battle with Rey and Kylo Ren on board the ship and, and so on and so forth. Okay, I've been watching the videos of people who are there and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, besides the Ren and the, the Rey thing, mm -hmm. it doesn't really feel Star Wars. It feels more the fifth element than it does Star Wars. Mm. You know, the whole the the whole entertainment thing. I mean, that's the diva right out of fifth element. Mm. It's not the the band out of um most Eisley or anything like that. It doesn't have a Star Wars feel. The captain, mm. that hat has got to go. Mm. Uh, it's just it's it's just cartoony. It's like you're watching, you know, something that it's just animated and it, it doesn't have, and, and it's so, you go in there and it looks like the prison from Andor. Wow. So they didn't make it immersive enough to like, oh, I'm going into Star Wars. No, you're going into space. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But have you seen, the, there's a video out right now about a, a French hotel mm -hmm. that is a space hotel. And... um it's funny because the rooms look exactly mm -hmm. like the, a little bigger, mm -hmm. but almost exactly like the ones 
on the the halcyon. Mm-hmm. But still, tell me it's not gone completely. Tell me that they just want to retheme it. Tell me that they want to, you know, bring down the price. Because if they do bring down the price, and then maybe you pay a premium for food or stuff like that, I can guarantee that place will be sold out every single week. The September twenty eighth date for the last voyage is not a coincidence. That's because the new fiscal year for the Walt Disney Company begins on October 1st, 2023. Strictly from a bookkeeping point of view. I mean, and and the other thing, remember here, that Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser was a hotel. And the way hotels work is that you as an owner understand that you are going to lose, you know, you have your huge startup costs. You are going to lose money for the first three and four years but you're eventually going to turn a corner. You'll learn back everything you spent to get your hotel up out of the ground. And then it's money. It's a solid earner. And the fact that Disney, you know, looking at what the hotel was pulling in and looking what was happening in a response of the discount that was offered to Disney visa holders, the discount that was op- offered to annual pass holders, and the fact that they did not get the response that they hoped for and just sort of being cold-blooded, staring down the road, looking at what that meant. And yes, there were discussions about new storylines, different cruise itineraries to get people who previously experienced it back. But again, there was just a whole notion of, are we throwing good money after bad? And already you had the situation where, based on the reaction uh, suddenly Disneyland Paris is getting cold feet about, you know, I mean, hell, uh, Disneyland Paris was getting cold feet about Batu, let alone the Star Wars Hotel. Though there were never any official public discussions about it, the Oriental Land Company was just sort of like, don't think we, I know we've talked about this privately, I don't think we're, this is happening. So it was going to be Disney Institute meets Disney right. Quest in Chicago. You know, it just sort of, it was one of those things where when it was busy, it was very busy and, and people loved it. But, they, you know, there were just these huge chunks of time then when there weren't enough people in it to support it. By the way, I know what you said about the captain with her giant hat. I, I had a number of interactions during the cruise that Len and I had with the performer playing the captain. And yes, ridiculous outfit, incredibly sincere, talented performer. In fact, that that's a thing. There are so many hugely talented, dedicated cast members working on this project, both on stage, behind the okay. scenes. Make her Janeway then. Make her um seven of make her somebody who when you see her, you don't think cartoon, Warner Brothers cartoon. When you see her, you see, like, powerful, a person who's in charge. I'm sorry, the design for her, the blue skin mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, it just didn't, it doesn't come across when you when you just see it. But when you, like, see Janeway or other women who are in charge of the, the Star Trek universe, mm-hmm. someone like that. It made it like it was it was too much of a high school musical rather than you're going into... Listen, the line waiting to go see Rise of the Resistance is more themed than some of the play, um, rooms in the Star Wars hotel. Having actually physically been in the space, I think I'm... 
I'm going to bury the needle in the other direction. I mean, okay. they, I, I okay. think they they tried. They may be bet on the wrong horse by building these things around a rise of Skywalker and right. that mythos. But let's remember that the company itself. We just got the announcement of the the new Ray film that supposedly will right. will do a trilogy. And and also remember, circling back to what Bob Iger did here, this failure was not laid at the feet of Kathleen Kennedy. And that's largely because Kathleen Kennedy has all sorts of hugely successful television projects for Disney+, Plus, whether it's Mandalorian Season 4, uh, Ahsoka, uh, Andor Season 2, Skeleton Crew, Skeleton The Acolyte, Crew. and not to mention the Young Jedi Adventures, which which already is printing money for the company. Oh, my God. Have you, have you seen it? They're cute. I went to the dentist mm-hmm. the, the week after, and I got several more cavities mm-hmm. because I was watching it. So, no, I like the idea of the of the Star Wars hotel. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think they should stop it. Mm-hmm. It is brilliant. Nobody has ever done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. It's something that I really want to go to, mm-hmm. and I think more people will want to go to. But like you say, most mm-hmm. Star Wars people are not in the one percent. Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee you most Star Wars people want to go and be immersed in this Star Wars universe. There were discussions months ago with the scenario of if the hotel fails, what do we do? And it's like one of the things that was discussed was the very same system the shuttle that's back in the that you know on the back of the box truck right that takes people back and forth from the the halcyon <laughs> to the black spire outpost that this could be an upcharge you know to the effect of oh you'd like to go up to the halcyon for a, a three or four hour long experience absolutely okay you know and then you could have a dinner in the Carillion dining room and you could go visit the bridge and hang out in the bar and do a little shopping I mean it's just it's like any sort of add-on to an actual cruise with the way this went down with the last cruise happening at the last possible moment before the fiscal year for 2022 2023 ends. And the way theme parks actually operate with the, the notion of, you know, years and years of depreciation, I'm wondering how long this stays shuttered uh, before. Oh, I don't think long. Uh, I don't know about that. I've, I've re- because they, they, like I said, they built this thing for a billion dollars. They did. Um, they it, did. It's there. And they probably did a lot of research and people really want to to do this thing mm-hmm. but it's just you know if do you think that if it was like half the price you know if it was twenty five hundred dollars instead of um five thousand dollars do you think that would have been better or even even like two thousand dollars i mean i do not know what to tell you here and what's fascinating with talking with friends who work in themed entertainment they will point to the effect of well look meow wolf does amazing business at its, you know, almost $100 price point. Likewise, things like Sleep No More. These are premium interactive experiences that continue to do well. So the worry is that this will have a chilling effect on these sort of super ambitious projects. But on the other hand, does this mean that Comcast isn't doesn't go forward with the Halloween Horror Night standalone that was going to be built in Vegas. 
I would say no. I would say that that's going to go forward, though. Worth noting, and you were just talking about Star Trek, remember in Vegas at the Hilton. That was a great one. I never got to it. Oh, it was so, yeah. it was, I was blown away that somebody did something mm-hmm. Disney-like, which was not mm-hmm. Disney. Yep. I mean, the way they they got you from the museum to the the. By the, the way, the, the, not, not to give away the, uh, the effect here, but... Exact same thing uh, in Poseidon's Fury in Florida. Right, right, right. That right. very same technology. So, you know, just in one case, giant room goes away. And, and another. Didn't that come from Landmark? Didn't Landmark do those I, things? I want um, to say, Gary? Yeah, yes. I, I know yeah. Landmark was very much involved in the Star Trek uh, thing. But, but again, even the Star Trek thing in Vegas shut down. To, because, again, there was, there was a finite audience. So, uh, again, I have right. heard... That all of that stuff from Star Trek The Experience was hauled away to uh, some warehouse. And and the notion was, we will find another hotel in the Vegas area and we will bring this back. And I just, I can't help but believe, given what's going on with Trek these days. I mean, just the way people just walked away from season three of Picard singing its praises. It's like, why isn't anybody digging the experience out of storage and setting it up someplace, you know? Remember when the Great America in San Jose was actually owned by Paramount? Oh, interesting. And they they had the Top Gun roller coaster. Mm-hmm. They had Star Trek stuff. That's money went ready, ready to be printed right there. To sort of bring this to a close, folks, again, it, it is sad what happened with Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. It was ambitious. They had a very talented group of people, uh, both on stage and behind the scenes. And as the company put it, they took a big swing and, you know, it didn't work. What was the percentage of um, occupancy? Well, at the beginning, it was sold out, right? Yeah. When you were there, what was the... The occupancy rate, do you know? You know, I can only tell you antidotally. I mean, you know, for example, when we were down in the dining room, it was a two-level space. And everybody at, at my seating for dinner was on the floor. The the elevated booths that circled the room, virtually every single one of them was empty. So, it was, you know, it, it was one of these things where it's like... That tells me the ship is half empty, but nobody ever shared that number with me. I mean, that's my own okay. personal observation. So. so the numbers aren't out there then? They're, no, The numbers no. aren't out there. And, okay. and like I said, this is Disney. Disney is going to put this in the rearview mirror very quickly. But isn't this supposed to be in the, the yearly report? Isn't something like that? Like how well the hotels do, or it's an attraction more than a hotel, right? If we are talking about the annual reports that the Walt Disney Company printed back in the 1970s, yes, you got occupancy rate. If we are talking about, first of all, Disney stopped actually printing annual reports 10 years or so ago. They now became digital, and we choose not to share that info. Well, were any parts of the... The whole the the area when you were doing the um, interactions was it crowded? Were you like vying for position to see what was going on? Because the first stuff, everybody there was like when they did something in the the foyer, it was packed. Len did share with me that 
when he and he went on the very first cruise. So right. it was more crowded, but again, there can only be one first cruise. And you know, the, but it, didn't he do just one day though, or was no, it he, two days? No, cruise? that's Drew who did the one day oh, press right, visit. Right. Land would Land okay. did the the full two day long experience. So, well, I think it should be longer too. I think three days, and you'll be happy. Uh, they, they, they couldn't sell out the two day experience. Why, why would right? But if you but but that's the price point though. But again, for a three-day experience, you would have to write a script for a three-day experience. You would have to cast it for a three-day experience. I mean, again, there was, a, there was a business plan here. And sadly, the business plan did not pan out. But anyway, folks, well, as we learn more about what's going on and when the Galactic Star Cruiser becomes available for booking trips on May 26th, our understanding is... All of the previously announced discounts go away because now, of course, there'll be huge demand to get on it before in Main Street electrical play, uh, uh, street parlance. It glows away forever. But anyway, as we hear more, we will share here and both on this uh, podcast as well as various social media channel, channels. And, and toward that end, Brian, can you tell the nice folks where they can find you on social media? Yes, I'm on Twitter. It's geek with children and children is spelled c-h-i-l-d-r-n and um, i'm there every once in a while just talking about what's going on and where are you i am still on the twitters uh likewise over at instagram uh as jim hill media and on facebook is jim hill media news Beyond that, I uh, want to remind you, we have a couple of other podcasts here you might want to check out. And in fact, again, just to remind you, head over to the Disney Dish. Uh, this week, we have the, the story of Indiana Jones and the Summer of Hidden Mysteries. And later this afternoon, Drew Taylor and I will be recording a brand new uh, fine tuning. And I'm hoping that Mr. Taylor gets to share because supposedly he got to see uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse at, at one point this week. Wow. So, yes, I, I, I'm hoping that he, he's not barred by an embargo. With that, um, if, you, if anybody out there mm. gets their cell phone from T-Mobile, mm. next week you will be able, or the week that um, uh, Spider-Man comes out, mm-hmm. you will be able to get a $5 ticket. Oh. To any theater that you want to see it at. Like if you want to see it in the Dolby Theater, if you want to see it in the 3D Theater, $5. So if you have T-Mobile, I'm not doing a, an ad here, but I just want more people to know what they can get on um, T-Mobile Tuesdays. Uh, so. Clever, clever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see, what else? And, of course, uh, Aaron Adams, the very talented gentleman, who handles the editing here. He and I uh, do the Marvelous Disney podcast. And, uh, you know, there, there was also some news that came out of the upfronts there that we'll be touching on. But, um, okay, I think that's going to do it for this week. So, uh, folks, if you could do, uh, Brian and I have a favor. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend uh, looking at the Lucasfilm, that would be very helpful. Uh, likewise, if you go over to Bandcamp and subscribe, well, I, again, I, I could now afford a ticket to, you know, <laughs> Spider-Man, you know, across the Spider-Verse, which again, very much looking forward to, but anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. So thank you so much for listening and Brian and I will be back soon. <laughs>